the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. American girls are 14 percentage points more likely to be school ready than boys at age five. By high school, two-thirds of the students in the top 10% of the class, ranked by GPA, are girls, while roughly two-thirds of the students in the lowest decile are boys. In 2020, at the 16 top American law schools, not a single one of the flagship law reviews had a man as an editor-in-chief. Men are struggling in the workplace. One in three American men with only a high school diploma, that's 10 million men, now out of the labor force. It's the biggest drop in employment among young men aged 25 to 34 Men who enter the workforce in 1983 will earn about 10% less in real terms in their lifetimes than those who started a generation earlier. Over the same period, women's lifetime earnings have increased 33%. Michelle Goldberg's piece on the same topic, boys and men are in crisis because society is. Does she have that reversed? Well, to answer that question, we're pleased to be joined by Richard Reeves, Senior Fellow in Economic Studies at the Brookings Institution, where he directs the Boys and Men Project and holds the John C. and Nancy D. Whitehead Chair. His new book of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It, was the subject of that David Brooks column, in part, that I was referencing. And he joins us now. Richard Reeves, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. So boys and men are in crisis because society is. Is is it a chicken and egg argument, or does Michelle Goldberg have it uh, in full reverse? Society is in crisis because boys and men are. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think Michelle's telling half the story, which is that you know, there are a lot of problems in society now, including the loss of many traditionally male jobs and including in, you know, dramatic changes in the family uh, and in education, all of which are impacting boys and men. But on the other hand, uh, if men are struggling, if boys are struggling at school and men are struggling in the labor market and fathers are struggling to find a place in the family, obviously that has negative effects for society. And I think what we're seeing here is actually something of a vicious circle, whereas boys are struggling in school, they then grow up to struggle in the labor market, which makes it hard for them perhaps to, to fulfill the role in the family they want to, which affects their children. And it turns out especially affects boys. Uh, and so they then struggle at school, and so the cycle turns. And so I don't think it's that productive, really, to, to look at only one side of the causal arrow. It seems to me that, that both both are true, that because boys and men are struggling, society is not in great shape, but the, altern- the opposite is also true. What kind of work opportunities are not available for men anymore? In traditionally male jobs, such as manufacturing, so the share of manufacturing uh, as a proportion of the economy has dropped dramatically in the last few decades. There are some other jobs, such as mining, steelwork, etc. Um, the ones you would think of as being traditionally male, and you wouldn't be wrong to think of that, just statistically they were dominated by men, and especially men who perhaps didn't actually have to have particularly high levels of education to do those jobs. So those jobs have 
very, very quickly declined over recent decades, so quickly for an economist, I should say, over the last few decades, partly as a result of automation as machines coming in to do the jobs that were previously done by men, and partly because of greater competition from overseas. Now, that's not to say those trends are bad things, that globalization and automation are bad in themselves. It is to say that they've disproportionately affected male jobs. Well, sure. And so, uh, you know, per Joe Biden, uh, his message to West Virginia coal miners, you know, learn to code, Uh, go to your community college and uh, take a class and learn to code and get with the new economy. Yeah, well, to be fair, I think that's that's sometimes been a message from politicians across the board. And and I think there's a couple of there's a couple of problems here. On one side, you get what I would say is a sort of naivety, which is to just expect people who've done one kind of job like mining to pick up another job like coding. Uh, uh, and the truth is, of course, that there are lots of jobs in between. You know, there are lots of jobs we need, like in in a healthcare sector and education and transport, you know, lots of need for truck drivers, et cetera. So, and in retail, now they're not coal mining for sure, but there are more jobs growing in those areas. But I will say, I think sometimes there's a problem too, which is the politicians give the impression that they can wave a magic wand uh, and, and against the economic trends, somehow bring back uh, jobs that are economically becoming harder to sustain. It's not that we wouldn't support those jobs. In fact, the bipartisan infrastructure bill will absolutely help manufacturing and construction to some extent. But there are lots of politicians with false, false promises as well. Yeah. It's worth no bearing in mind the number, of coal, the, the number of coal mining jobs actually declined um, between 2016 and 2020 during Donald Trump's presidency. And that wasn't because President Trump didn't care about coal mining. It is because presidents don't have magic wands that can change the economy. No, no question about that. That's 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 absolutely a fair observation. Um, I, I want to go back to um, the, the education piece. So let's get to boys, you know, in the formative years as they're entering school mm. and then making their way through school, whatever level they achieve. So um, how do you describe the... Uh, 180 that's happened, particularly at the collegiate level in terms of mm. who, who earns bachelor's degrees and who earns master's degrees in almost every subject, uh, at what percentages in almost every subject, uh, except for computer science and a couple of hard science mm. uh, uh, disciplines. And, and, and so what, 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 what have you seen or how do you diagnose what's happened in pre-K through post-secondary education and the impact it's had? Well, what we've seen is that girls and women have not not just caught up with boys and men in education, but they've blown right past them. Uh, they've they've not they've overtaken them, and they're now leaving them in the dust. And that's true actually at every level of education. So you've already cited some of the statistics, um, at, you know, at the beginning of school and at the end of high school. But perhaps the most dramatic, or maybe the most shift has been in higher education. So 50 years ago in 1972, when Title IX was passed, which was a federal law to help women and girls in college, a big, a big legislative effort. At that point, men were 13 percentage points more likely to get a four-year college degree than women. Now, women are 15 percentage points more likely than men to get a four-year college degree. So gender inequality in higher education is wider today than it was 50 years ago. It's just the other way around. And Why nobody predicted that? that. Nobody. Yeah. Well, I think that, that's, a, that's, that's what a lot of, a lot of economists and uh, sociologists are spending their career trying to figure out. My own view is that it, it seems pretty clear to me the education system actually is structured to favor girls and women. 
it rewards certain skills, paying attention, sitting still, organization, that on average are stronger in girls, but particularly they develop earlier in girls. Girls, actually, a 16-year-old girl, her brain, this is neuroscience, has actually just developed a bit more quickly than boys, especially in the areas of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, that are the bits of the brain that make you do your chemistry homework rather than go out and party, the bits that care about your GPA, the bits that turn in your homework on time. And any parent of girls and boys is never shocked to learn that there's this difference. It's, it's what people, people say, it's like, well, duh. Thanks for that research study showing me what I already knew. But then that's playing out in university and college in a way that it wasn't before because girls weren't encouraged to go to college. Now, if anything, girls probably encouraged more than boys to go to college. And so we couldn't see the natural advantages they had in the education system because they weren't, because we had the brakes on. As soon as we took the brakes off girls and women, they blew right past the boys. And mm. so there are structural inequalities. It's not that boys overnight became lazy and disorganized and sloppy. It's not that there's a tendency to blame the boys, right? Why can't you be more like your sister? My, a parent might cry. But it's not their fault, by and large. It's the, the education system doesn't suit them as well as it suits their sister. Well, okay, and, and one of the things that you suggest um, uh, is that the boys start school a little bit later when than girls mm. do when they're a little bit more mature. You think that would... Um, sort of uh, level some of the the, the uh, social, emotional uh, development that occurs, yes? Yeah, yeah. I, I think boys should be encouraged and allowed to start school a year later for the, because they are developmentally behind girls. Uh, and now that we've leveled the playing field, if you like, we're just seeing that we're seeing the natural advantages of girls. But for me, the re main reason to do that is do it from the beginning, but the main advantages, I think, will flow 10 years later in adolescence when the gap between girls and boys is at its greatest. But I think rather than, rather than make the boys repeat a grade, which does happen to a lot of boys, actually, especially black boys, one in, one in four black boys have repeated a grade by the time they finish high school. It's a really pretty high percentage. Boys are more likely to repeat a grade. So that's just to start all the boys a year later by default, and then they'll be a year older but developmentally, they'll just be about the same or closer to the same as the girls in the classroom. With them. Well, that stat about uh, young, uh, young black boys and uh, repeating grades and um, the stats we know from test scores, from reading and math aptitude and so forth. Um, it seems to me there's something else going on, too, that needs to be addressed. And uh, the difference between the family structure across the racial spectrum uh, 50 years ago as compared to today and what's happened during that time period. Uh, maybe what's the situation at home, which has the greatest impact on a child's intellectual, social, emotional development, is much different than it was for uh, boys who grew up when I did in the 70s and 80s and, uh, and certainly previous generations. Yeah, well, I think you're pointing to two things. One is that there are these, these huge race gaps. Uh, in education generally, but there's an interesting difference, which is that there's a huge gender gap between black boys and black girls and between black men and black women. So all the gaps we're, we're talking about here, they will be they're bigger between black girls and black boys. In fact, young, young black women now are doing quite well at some measures of education. There are more young black women, for example, with a postgraduate degree than there are young white men. And there are twice as many black women with a college degree as, as there are black men. So those gender gaps are just amplified um, for black boys and men. But to, to address your question directly, it's quite clear that fathers matter to the development, uh, to the educational development of kids and especially of boys. So to the extent that there isn't a father 
uh, involved. Uh, and as long as it doesn't have to be married to the mum to be involved, like, I think that's pretty clear by now. Um, then it does have a disproportionate effect on boys and sons in those households. So it's clear that boys are more affected by family instability, um, by family breakdown, um, and by poverty and by poor neighbourhoods. But the last thing I'll say on that is that we shouldn't just think about this in terms of just the immediate family. There's excellent research, this is done by Raj Chetty's team, uh, which shows that in neighbourhoods where there are lots of black fathers, engaged black fathers, black boys in those areas do better in school even if their own father is not around. So what, I, what that's telling us, I think, is that, that, that just having men around as role models, as members of the community, perhaps as coaches, etc., they're called social fathers sometimes in the literature. They matter as well, too. Yeah. But the takeaway should be that fathers really matter, whether they're married to or living with the mum or not. In fact, in some ways, especially if they're not married to or living with the mum. And I'm afraid that we haven't updated our views of fatherhood to meet the modern reality, a world where 40% of breadwinners now are women. Uh, and that's more than half of, of black families have a female breadwinner. And so we've got to update our view of the family. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.